We're going to continue with this month's series. Last week, we're doing this on the 11th commandment, and uh, you're going to find out why it's called the 11th commandment just in a second. Um, but I'm going to do a little bit of scripture reading, right? So if you've got your cell phones on with you and you've got your scripture on your, your cell phone, it seems like no one carries Bibles anymore. Anyone real, any real Christians here this morning got real Bibles? One, two, three, three, you get fast-tracked into heaven. It doesn't mean you're going to die early. It just, just means you're really favored. But we're going to have it up on the screen right now. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave his 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. What a stinky way to do it, but puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends up. Hey, friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. And I want you to note this. Even though we call this parable of the lost son, Jesus didn't say it was the parable of the lost son. He said, I've got a story about a man with two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered all his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he started running to his son. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him on his neck. And I can only imagine how dirty and sweaty that was. Salty. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe you've got and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring that big fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate like it was 1999. <laughs> Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked, hey, what, what's going on? Your brother 
has come, he replied, and your father has killed that big fat calf over there because he has back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, son. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with all my friends. But when your son who has squandered your property with prostitute comes home. Oh, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, a father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Isn't the word of God absolutely wonderful? So we're going to be looking at a scripture right now. And, 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 and as I'm looking at this, I can see that there was two audiences that Jesus was speaking to. And he says it right at the beginning. He was, taught, he was speaking to the IRS tax collectors and the sinners, right? They're both the same people, right? And then, of course, he's speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's speaking to two different audiences. But he had three, sorry if you work for the IRS, okay? He had three different parables here. The three different parables he was telling was, the first one was the lost sheep. And it's a story about someone or something that is far away. That's the tax collectors and the sinners in, in this, this particular uh, group of people. And then he had the lost coin, which was right at home. It was stuck with, somewhere in, in, a, in a crevice, somewhere in the house already. And we can attribute that to being the Pharisees and the scribes. But then he goes on to tell the story of what we call the prodigal son. But he didn't call it that. He called it the story of two sons. And the two sons were basically far and close. There was both of them together. So he's now got these two stories. Now, 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 let me just give you a quick update, a quick series update of what we've been doing. If you have not been here, uh, I think we've been doing a great series called The 11th Command. Now, why is it called The 11th Command? Because Jesus said, a new command I give you. In fact, it's right here. He said in John 13, 34, 35, he says, a new command, number 11, I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, a teacher of the law and a Pharisee had already you know, spoken to him before. And let's not get confused with what Jesus' answer was. He said, hey, what's the, most important, uh, what's, what's, what's the most important command? And Jesus said, here's the most important command. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is just like it, meaning they're equal, right? They're, they're joint first. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, what Jesus was saying was, that sums up the whole Old Testament. That sums up the distilled commands of God in the Ten Commands. But now I'm giving you number 11. He was turning up to 11, right? Some of you will only understand that if you've ever watched Spinal Tap. So here he is, number 11. He said, this is the command I want to give to you. But here's the interesting thing with this, is that this command even though it was number 11, was a command that Jesus thought was important for us to understand. Why? I believe it's because of this. There are two types of Christians, the hardworking Christians and the hardly working Christians, right? 
You've got the savers, the spenders, the faithful, the faithless, the invested, the indifferent, the good son and the bad son. You've got the ones that are working hard and they're working in ministry and they're doing everything they can to tell other people about Jesus. And you've got other people that are just like picking daisies, isn't Jesus wonderful? And they're doing nothing really much in the ministry or with their life whatsoever, but I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Now, that's from the older son's perspective. From the younger son's perspective, he would probably say, sure, I'm an achiever in life, but you, the older brother, you're the older achiever. Everything's not about Jesus, 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 and him to work in ministry and stuff. Give me a freaking break. Live a little in life. Go enjoy your life. Relax just a little bit. But Jesus obviously thought it was important that there had to be a command to be spoken to these two sons. I kind of sympathize a little bit with, like, with the, the older brother, right? I, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor's kid, right? Anyone who's a pastor's kid is suddenly feeling my pain right now, right? Feeling it deep down. I remember when I was at school and, and uh, I was about eight, nine, ten years old or something, and in my school, they had a big kind of open hall, and then they had a balcony above. And when you had to assemble the whole school together, you know, to take instruction for the, from the head teacher or something, all the kids would be sitting down here on the floor, just built like what you are right now. And they would have a balcony, just like the balcony we have like that. And, and some of the classes had to sit upstairs. And so me and my friend, Jimmy Marshall, are sitting upstairs, cross-legged, upstairs like this, looking out through the balcony. And I had a tennis ball in my hand right? And a tennis ball is a very dangerous thing in the hands of a lad, right? And this is the most important thing to me. So I've got this tennis ball, and I take this fluff, right? And I pull the fluff and the fuzz, because you know how you can pull the fuzz off of the tennis ball? And I pull the fuzz off, and I'm like, see if I can hit someone's head, right? So I'm dropping all these fuzz balls onto people's heads, which I think is freaking hilarious. Hello? That's what education's about. So Jimmy Marshall, he's like, give me some of that fuzzball. So he takes a fuzzball, and we start having a game of seeing how many fuzzballs we can get on other people's heads. I highly recommend it. <laughs> so after the assembly's over, we're going downstairs, and then there's another teacher that's coming upstairs, and she's like, who was dropping those these fuzzballs on top of people's heads like this? And this little squirmy kid in the corner goes, it was Jimmy Marshall and Peter Brunton. I'm like, oh. It's probably Paul Mellow. That's who's told me, right? It's Jimmy, Jimmy Marshall and Peter Brunton. I'm like, I wanted to kill this kid, right? And of course, the teacher does this, and she turns to me and goes, and you, the son of a minister, expect more from you. Then she walked off, right? Now I'm thinking, what's, what about Jimmy Marshall? He did the same thing. What's, what's with me? Why am I held to a higher standard here? Why is it I'm accused of being the bad one when I, just because I'm the pastor's kid, this didn't seem fair to me. And Jimmy Marshall, he's just off fuzzing people's hairs and doing whatever he wants. He could do whatever the heck he wants. But no, Peter's held to a higher standard. This is why I love the older brother. <laughs> I totally get this guy. I get his pain. Now today, we are speaking about Christians. Now listen to this. This is not a command that was given to anyone else but his disciples. How do I know that? Look at this. It says this. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
So this wasn't given for Christians or pre-Christians. So if you're, if you're not a Christian or you're a pre-Christian and you're thinking about this type of stuff, you can maybe check out if you want because this is not a standard for you. But if you're home to become a Christian, then you might want to pay attention right now. But this is the standard that Jesus was giving to us because he knew fine well if Christians were going to work together, they were going to find there was going to be the older brother and there was going to be the younger brother. And so today, I want to look at this story of the, the prodigal son, as we call it, and we're going to look at the older brother. Did you come to the prodigal show a couple of weeks ago? Wasn't it fantastic? It was an amazing show, absolutely fantastic. And if you were not too sure if it was going to be any good, but then you did end up loving it, well, next year, you can bring someone new because we're going to repeat it again, right? It's going to be a really cool show. It really was a fantastic show. Now, what Jesus said was this. He said, and in the same way, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In what way was Jesus expecting us to love each other? We, it's easy for us to say, oh, it's because, you know, he loved us by dying sacrificially for us on a cross. No, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't done that yet. It wasn't as I will love you, but as I have loved you. He was talking about how he loved people presently right then. And so we need to learn what is it that we've got to do in order to learn how to love people presently. So when he's telling the story of the prodigal son, he's saying that the far away were the sinners and the IRS tax collectors and the, and the, the son that was at home are like the Pharisees and the scribes. And I want, to, I want to say that he has put himself as the father in that story. He is demonstrating to us how to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to look at like a dare I say, like a checklist. In fact, I've called it the checklist for the prodigal's older brother. And I want to look at this checklist of what is left for the, the, the older brother here to understand how did his father love? How did he have to learn to love? How do, what do we get from this of how we should love one another? Look to the person beside you and say, I'm about to love you. Okay, now turn back to that person and say, you're creepy. So here we go, 10, I'm gonna give eight different things that I see in this story. And forgive me if this feels like or seems like a rebuke, it is, but you'll just still have to forgive me, right? Number one, here we go, number one, he was looking for the lost. He was looking, the father was looking for the lost. It says when the son came home, he says that he saw his son. The father saw him. Listen, the son, how, how, how long was the son away for? Was it a week? Was it a month? Was it a year? We don't know how long he was away for. I mean, how much money did he have? Maybe $100,000. How long would it take you to blow $100,000? I don't know. But what we do know is the closest party town to him was 200 miles away. It was called the city of Antioch, and we know that he probably took a donkey or a horse or a cart to get there, but he had to walk all the way back because he had no money left. But the father was still looking for him. The father was still looking to the horizon. He still had hope within his heart. You know you've lost love when you stop seeing the lost, when you stop seeing people who are around you who are broken and who are lost. Number two. He was immediately filled with compassion. The father saw him and was filled with compassion. Now, the word compassion comes from two words. It means come uh, or come together, and it means passion, which passion means uh, uh, suffering emotion. So that means for suffering emotion to come together. In fact, the original Greek literally means for your bowels to move, right? For you have this gurgling in your stomach, for your bowels to clench up and to yearn. Something inside of you just yearns. And, and let me tell you, you can do this in two ways. Either you feel someone else's pain because you went through the same thing, or... The Holy Spirit comes on you to feel their pain when you've never gone through it yourself. 
Now, if you've gone through a difficult time and someone else is going through the exact same difficult time, you can feel their pain. It's a bit like someone who's maybe lost a child. Maybe you've lost a child in your, in your life and you feel that, that, that grief and that pain that you went through and when someone else goes through it, you immediately feel the same pain. That's compassion. But does that mean you have to go through every difficult and painful thing to understand where people are at? No, I believe it's because the Holy Spirit can come upon you and you feel what the Holy Spirit feels. In fact, when Jesus was, was feeding the 5,000, if you remember the story, he says that he looked on them and he had pity on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that compassion came on him. I believe it's like the Holy Spirit came upon him and he felt something for those people. This is the type of thing we've got to have. You don't need to be a prodigal son that runs away and does your own thing and, and has squandered money for you to be able to identify with other people, but you do have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to feel what other people feel. Do you feel what other people feel? You know you've lost love when you stop feeling others' pain. Number three, the father used all of his energy to get close he ran to his son. He didn't walk. He didn't amble. He didn't send someone else to check something out. He ran to his son. I want to ask you this question. At the end of the day, are you tired when you've worked all day? The answer should be yes. Are you tired when you get to the end of the day? Yes. Good. That's very good. But guess what? Your reward is whatever you get paid. Your reward is maybe self-satisfaction that you've done a good job. But there is no reward in heaven for you with that. Are you tired because you expend your time and your energy in ministry? Good. There is a reward in heaven for that. How do I know that? Because Jesus took his disciples around him and he said, guys, whenever I, when I get to my glory and I get into heaven and, then, and it comes to the day when everyone's gathered between me or, or beside me, I'm going to take them and I'm going to split off the sheep to one side and I'm going to split off the goats to another side and then I'm going to decide who's going to get the inheritance. And those who actually turned out to be the sheep, I'm going to give them an inheritance because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was lost, you came and found me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you, 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 you came to visit me. And they're like, for a start, Jesus, I don't remember you in prison, and I'm sure you never did anything bad enough to be in prison, but, but when were you in prison? When were you even hungry? And, and, and you make your own food. You multiply food. How does that make sense? And he said, because when you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Now, notice this. He said, to my brethren. Not to just everybody and anybody, but to those who are your brothers and sisters. If you did it to them, you did it to me. And then he says to them, because you did it to me, come on in. Here's your inheritance from the Father. That's what he says. An inheritance. You are going to get an inheritance because you are doing the things of Jesus. You are loving as Jesus loved. And if you don't love as Jesus loved, I don't know how you're going to get an inheritance. All I can see is that you would be split off onto the other side. He used his energy to run to his son. He gave his best in every situation. There's a, 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 there's a, a tree in my neighborhood that, that, it's not a massive tree, it's maybe about the height, height of the ceiling, and someone had crashed into it about a few months ago, and, and it just lay there on the sidewalk over someone's uh, uh, yard and, and a little bit on the side of the road, etc. and it was just there, and I'm like, someone, hope, hopefully they're going to cut that down soon, hopefully they're going to, well, it's already knocked down, but hopefully they're going to cut it up soon, and they never got around to cutting it, 
And I have to say, every time I drove by it, and I'm like, oh, why don't they just cut that tree? It's an impediment to everyone else that's trying to take their dogs for a walk on the sidewalk. Just cut the tree down, right? But they never got around to it. And then I'm like, then I'll just have to cut it. So I did. I got my wee chainsaw, right? And I cut it, and I said, Kale, you're in on this, because if I'm working, you're working, right? Bring the rope. So we have to bundle it up in little bundles and put it by the side of the road there, and we cut it up, and I, and I dealt with it. I dealt with the problem. It was an irritation to me. I just dealt with it. About a week later, I get this little card in the, in, the, in the mail, and it says, I just wanted to thank you for cutting down my tree. I didn't know how to cut my tree. And then I felt bad. I felt good. I'm like, oh, someone gave me thanks. And then I felt bad. And I'm like, I'm such a bad son, right? Because I was getting angry at this person. I was getting irritated because they weren't taking care of business. When the fact is, I wasn't willing to just look at it and say, well, why don't I just take care of it? Why don't I just take care of it out of joy instead of begrudgingly do it? You know that you've lost love when you're expending less energy to be close to the ones you love and the ones that Christ loves. Hello? You know that you've lost love when you're expending less energy to be close to the ones that you love. Here we go, number four. Nearly halfway there. He didn't withhold affection. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. One of the signs that you're angry with someone is when you can't give them affection. You withhold affection. We, uh, last year, I went off to, I went and did a mission trip over in India, and I took some of my guys with me, and uh, 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 one of them had actually been on a business trip the week before. So he was on a business trip the week before, came back into town, uh, saw his wife and his kids, kissed them, loved them, and then he went off on a mission trip with me thereafter. And so he was on, you know, that FaceTime stuff that you do on your iPad, and he was, he was on FaceTime when we were over there, and he was trying to speak to his youngest son, and his wife was saying, come, come and speak to your dad, come and speak to your dad. And the son would keep doing this, right? He was two years old, and he would just keep turning away, and he'd go, no, I don't want to look at my dad. And I, and I realized, I realized that even at the youngest age, when we feel rejected by our father, we start rejecting back. We start withholding our love. And the fact is, if you don't feel love for someone, and you can't look at them in the eye and tell them you love them, if you can't give them, a, as what Paul says, a Christian kiss, a Christian kiss, then you know that you've got a problem with your love for that person. And this whole Christian kiss stuff, I find it a little weird because I come from Scotland, right? And we're just not kissers. But when you go to South America, they're like kissing everybody and anything, right? Even when you try and leave someone, is that right? And even when you try and leave someone's home, you have to calculate 30 minutes before you leave to just to, to, to schedule in all the kissing and the hugging before you can get out the front door, Right? Like, I've never been so kissed in all my life because I'm Scottish. We're just like a firm handshakes. How are you doing today, right? That's what we do, firm handshakes. But no, in Peru, it's like, mwah, mwah, mwah. I love you. Jesus loves you. Everyone loves you. Let me pray for you. I'm just trying to get out the door. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Let's pray again. Like, ah! Oh, my gosh. I'm not saying you have to do that, right? But what I am saying is, you know you've lost love when you can't show affection anymore. You can't show affection anymore. Number five, he skipped the demands. The son went, son, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. And he goes, shush, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now, if I was the dad, I would say, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's talk about this. Let's get you cleaned up. 
let's get you cleaned up because I'm a man of grace. Let's get you cleaned up. Just give him some new clothes, not the best clothes. Let's just see how well he does when he gets here. Okay, now let's sit down across my desk. Tell me what you've done. Okay, I will now forgive you. I'm going to rebuke you. And then um, what we'll do is we'll give you a job and we'll give you a testing period to see how well you can do before we give you anything special or any position at home here, right? How many of you would have done that? Hello, hello, dot com. That's you. You're with me on the same website, right? Yes, give him a list of things to do. He didn't do that. He said, come on in. Let's do this. Let's throw a party quick. He jumped to it. Why would he do this? Because God doesn't look for perfection. He looks for the right response. But how do you know he's changed? He walked 200 miles to get back to his dad. I now know he's changed. God's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for you to be in the perfect place in your life right now. He's looking for the right response. Give them the right response. Look for the right response in other people as well. What if a person who has rejected you walks back in this church today? Would you be ready to jump on them with a big holy kiss? You might scare them away, just simmer it down a bit, right? But would you jump on them and say, welcome back? Would you do it? You know you've lost love when your demands list is really long. Number six. Number six, he sacrificially gave, what does that word say? Again. Wait, 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 wait. He just lost half of his farm. He just lost half of the amount of money that he owned to his son. And he's about to give something to him again. Now, most people think that the, 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 the one that was most disappointed to see the young son come home was the older son. It wasn't. It was the fatted calf, right? He's looking at the horizon going, oh. Uh, right? This is the issue. <laughs> you love my jokes, don't you? Come on. I'm here every Sunday morning, folks. Hey. <laughs> That's the only applause I get. Nothing about the Word of God, but the fatted calf. No. That's good. This is an issue of once bitten, what? Twice shy. Have you been bitten before by someone? Have you been disappointed and hurt by them? Sometimes what happens is when you get bitten by someone, you get disappointed by them, you're less likely to give them something in the future. I've done this myself. I've, a, I've actually invested in other people in their businesses, and we were in business together, and then suddenly he decides to lose the, uh, leave the faith, and at the same time, he decides to dump the business, and we lost everything in the business. I've given money to people where I've tried to help them out and loan them money, and then they just decide, you know what, I don't want I don't want I, I to give you the money back. It's easy for bitterness to have settled in my heart, and I'm not going to pretend like it didn't. It did. I still had to go through the, the season of going, forgive them, and then let it go. We have to let it go. You've got to shake it off. Like, just like the great prophetess Taylor Swift said, shake it off, shake it off, uh-uh, shake it off, Right? You gotta shake it off. You can't afford for bitterness to fill up your life and then be stuck where you're at, out in the field, grumpy because you won't come in to have a party with someone. Listen, you sacrificially give again. You know you've lost love when you give less than you used to. Then you give less when you used to. Listen, this is what happens when you feel bitter against someone and you don't want to give them any more room. You don't want to give them any more gifts. You don't want to kill your fatted calf 
what you do is you tend to spread it across all your other relationships. Let me tell you, don't think that you're generous with everyone else, but not with this one person. It's rubbish. It will infect everything else in your life. One thing I've learned, one thing I've learned in life is this, that when someone has dirt on them, they pass the dirt to you, right? But when you're clean, you can't pass clean to someone else. There's no transference of clean. There's only transference of bitterness. There's only a transference of anger. That's why you got to shake it off, shake it off, uh-uh, shake it off. shake it off, right? You got to get rid of it because if you don't get rid of it, you're just going to infect every other relationship that's in your life yet again. Number seven, we're nearly there. He showed and shared joy. Let's have a feast and celebrate like it's 1999, he said, right? He said, you know, if Jesus was there, he would have turned all the water into wine. It would have been a never-ending party, and that's the good news is that Jesus will be in heaven, so we'll have a never-ending party because he'll keep turning water into wine. Can I hear an amen? amen? Right, okay. So here's the biggest tell about your position with other people. It's your joy. It's your joy. I believe joy is on a person's face. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to have any actions. You don't have to have a conversation. You can look at a person in their face and you can see whether they have joy or don't have joy. Each of these lost parables that we just read actually ends up with the person who's finding something and they call their friends over and go, you gotta get on over here right now because I'm having a party. You've got, I tell you, the most attendance that I ever get coming to my house when I invite people over for Bible studies or groups or something, you know, you know maybe get a few people, but as soon as I say a party, everybody turns up, right? Because everybody wants to come to a party. And every one of these people who found something, they called up their friends and they celebrated. Who are you throwing a party over? One thing I've learned is this. Oh my gosh. If you're the person without joy, listen now. If you are the person without joy, you are a whole lot of work for other people. Quick, Google that, text it, Twitter it, put it down on something like that, right? If you're the one without joy, you are a whole lot of work for other people. Why? Because have you ever been around a miserable, per a miserable person and you crack jokes with them and it just falls to the ground like a lead balloon and, you just, and you're like, like laughing with them and you're saying things and they're like, yeah, but I guess, I guess, but I guess um, it is a good day, yeah. <laughs> Inside you're going, how do I make an exit early from this party? How do I get out of this party? In fact, my wife and I, here's a secret, right? A little tidbit, secret. When we first got married, if we were ever in a situation where one of us wanted to leave, we'd literally ask each other, hey, what are we doing on Monday? Right? And that was the signal. Let's get out of this place because it's miserable, right? Let's leave now. Let's not be rude to them by telling them they're miserable or anything like that. Let's just say, hey, what are we doing on Monday? I don't know, but look at the time we have to go, right? And we leave. Listen, if you're miserable and you don't have joy in your heart, you are a work for someone else. But when you're around someone with joy, it's like iron sharpening iron. It's like a joy to be around someone else because every time I talk to you, I'm encouraged. Every time I talk to you, you have a testimony. You have a story about what God's done in your life. You're excited about life and I love having a conversation with you because I walk away feeling excited about life too. Are you that person? Let me tell you, you know you've lost love when you have something to celebrate and you don't. I thought of saying when you don't have something to celebrate, but then I thought that's rubbish. Everyone has something to celebrate. You've got something to celebrate in your life, but you don't. 
Oh, no, no, I could celebrate. I just choose not to. That's right, because you don't have any overflowing joy. Listen, you do have something to celebrate. I don't like my house. Suck it up. You've got a house. I don't like my car. I wish it was newer. Suck it up. It still rocks and rolls down the road, and you're rocking and rolling. Listen, God has given you good stuff in your, in your life. You've got to start celebrating these things. And when you start thanking God for all the stuff that is in your life and that's around your life, you'll start to overflow onto other people. Let's give God a praise. Woo! Thank you, Father. We have so much to celebrate, and we choose to celebrate life. We choose to celebrate the good things that you have given in our life. Forgive us, Father, for not celebrating all the stuff that's around us simply because we're filled with bitterness and anger and and disappointment and rejection, and we have these lists that we keep on keeping for other people. Oh, Father, forgive us. Number eight, number eight, here we go. His mercy was impartial. Luke 15, 28, when the brother was out in the field in the, in the dumps, so said, oh, look at me. So the father went out and he pleaded with the older brother. Now, I don't know what you're like, but when someone's out in the field whining about life, the last thing I want to do is go out and plead. Please come in. I'll just go, you know what? Suck it up. Be by yourself. I'm here having a party over here. That's how I feel. But that's not the father. The father goes, that's still my son. And I still need to have him in my house. And I will not be fool until I have that son too. He had a son that was lost in the field and he went out to his field. And I love that because I'm that son more times often than not. I'm the one who's bitter and angry and, and upset and feeling rejected. And yet still the father comes out to me. Even though he holds me to a higher standard and he expects me not to be dropping fluff on other people's heads, he still comes out to me and says, hey, I want you to be a part of this party. That's what we've been called to. You know that you've lost love when you don't go out your way to win everyone to become unlost. When you don't go out of your way to win everybody to become unlost. I've got some people in my mind I can think of that I've spent a lot of time on and they're still bitter, they're still angry and they're still in the the dumps. Part of me just goes, you know what? See you later. I can't afford to do that. I can't. Maybe I won't go saying something if God doesn't tell me to do it, but I've got to be ready to say it. I can't afford for rejection and bitterness to be in my heart so when God does ask me to do something, I'm not ready to be a part of the party not ready to be a part of the celebration of receiving that person back. You still have to be ready to receive people. Here's your list. Here's your checklist of love. Do I actively look for the lost? Do I feel compassion for the broken? Do I expend great energy to get close to those around me? Do I make an effort to show affection to my Christian brothers and sisters like Peruvians kissing you all day long? Are there demands I need to drop of someone? What resources am I ready to sacrifice for others? When was the last time I was excited to see someone get saved? Oh, wow. When was the last time you were excited to see someone get saved? Hello. I don't remember the last time I saw someone getting saved. Well, then go back to the first one. Do I actively look for the lost? Can't expect to have the spirit of God's joy inside of you if you're not about his business. Why would the Holy Spirit fill you with power if you're not doing his business? He's going to keep his power for someone who is doing his business. Do I go out of my way to celebrate with other Christians? So forgive me if this seems like too much of a rebuke this morning, but this was for you guys, for Christians loving Christians. So you can look at the person beside you and you can decide that's the one I've got to love. 
because that's my brother and that's my sister in Christ. Yes, we've got to go out and love action, love other people in the world. We do need to do that. But for them to believe that you're truly a Christian, you need to know how to love the one that's right beside you first before you're willing to get up and start going out to try and love other people.